Hi, everyone. I'm Kelly Pokies Burke, and this is the Career Slay Podcast. Imagine the impact we could have on society if everyone loved what they did. That's what Career Slay is all about. I'm interviewing people who love their jobs and asking them how they got there and what they've learned along the way. We're here to slay the fear in career. Dr. Gary Rossi is an adjunct professor of marketing at Southern Methodist University Cox School of Business in Dallas, Texas. At SMU, he teaches undergraduates and MBA students and is an expert in marketing tech topics. Prior to teaching, Gary spent decades in global marketing assignments in over 40 countries for companies like Procter & Gamble, Gillette, and Frito-Lay. After his commercial experience, he pursued a consulting career as a senior partner with A.T. Kearney before forming his own firm, where he still consults and coaches clients today. Gary attended Rutgers College for his undergrad degree, Cornell University for an MBA, and recently earned a Doctor of Business Administration degree from the University of Florida. I first met Dr. Gary Arosi when he asked me to present a case study to his marketing class at SMU. And after I presented, his students asked me more questions about my career rather than the actual content. And that experience became one of the reasons for starting this podcast. So thank you, Gary. Fast forward to today, I was thrilled to interview Gary and learn more about his exciting trilogy of a career in marketing, consulting, and academia. What I love about this episode is how he shares advice on pivoting in your career and setting that bar high to challenge yourself. Gary proves that careers are adaptable and you don't have to box yourself into just one path. You can always rebrand your career. Welcome to Career Slate, Gary. Yeah, my pleasure. Let's just dive right in. Tell us your story. What were you like as a child? Yeah, um, my family were first immigrants uh, from abroad, and they emigrated to uh, Canada. I was born on the south end of uh, Lake Ontario and grew up there until I was about seven years old. About every year, year and a half, we moved somewhere else, back into the States, Connecticut, Chicago. The one thing I learned how to do was meet people because, you know, about every year, year and a half, we'd be at a different school, a different town, a different home. And I just got used to, you know, going up to folks and saying hi and making friends. So that's been a lifelong skill that I kind of attracted back to uh, back to those dynamics. That's awesome. Where did you decide to go to college? Yeah, so um, I went to Rutgers College, the State University of New Jersey. I started there my freshman year. I uh, thought I was going to be a doctor. I loved science and then uh, discovered the amount of studying and so forth. <laughs> a little <laughs> bit more than I wanted to sign up for. So I changed my major to business and I found I love business mm-hmm. and I found marketing at that point uh, and, and IT. Yeah, so it's kind of funny that um, you wanted to be a doctor and then it comes full circle and we'll get to it, but it comes full circle that you actually are a doctor now. Well, you might you might say that, although my wife says, don't put doctor in front of your name because you're not really a doctor. <laughs> not a real Still doctor. call 911 if there is an emergency. <laughs> exactly. And that kicked off a career in marketing, right? It did, yeah. I went uh, directly from undergrad uh, at Rutgers to Cornell uh, University for my uh, MBA up in nice Ithaca, New York, Mm -hmm. and spent two years uh, there. And then from there, um, matriculated to my first job. My wish all along had been to be a consumer marketer. Mm -hmm. And Procter & Gamble, of course, was, you know, the kind of penultimate place where you could practice that marketing and they had the technologies and the skills and the brands. So I joined uh, the food business uh, in uh, 1977 and uh, spent a year uh, managing uh, oil uh, coffee brands and some of their uh, cooking oil brands. And uh, Procter & Gamble has a, a 
process where after a year as a brand assistant, uh, you go out on sales training mm-hmm. uh, for three months to you know see what it's like to sell the product to the trade. So I was fortunate enough to be signed to, uh, uh, to San Francisco for three months. And an interesting thing happened. Uh, I was into computers, right? Yeah. And at that point, the first Apple II computers were just selling. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I wandered out one day onto uh, Geary Street uh, in San Francisco, and I happened upon the Geary Street um, radio and TV repair shop. And sitting there was an Apple II computer. So I walked in, and a young man uh, my age uh, greeted me, and I said, hey, you guys are selling Apple, Apple II computers? He said, yeah. Uh, I said, you know, well, I'd like to get one. So I bought one on a Friday afternoon. Turns out that with the purchase of the computer, I got basic programming skill lessons every Saturday morning. Oh, wow. So, I mean, by this time, I knew a few programming languages from, uh, from Rutgers. But I thought, well, you know, here's where I am. And he said, well, welcome. I think there are five or six of us. Welcome. And we you know, have like six, seven weeks of uh, basic uh, programming training. And I'd like to introduce you to your instructor, uh, my uh, roommate, uh, Steve Wozniak. What? And, uh, you know, at that point, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, Steve Wozniak and this hobby computer thing and that kind of stuff. So about three weeks in, uh, Wozniak, uh, you know, says, hey, guys, if you have a chance, uh, my business partner uh, would like to join us for lunch. We usually went off to a little sandwich shop and talk a little bit about what you think about our product. And uh, so we arrive and there's Steve Jobs. And uh, Steve introduces himself and who are you? And what, oh, I'm a guy from Procter and Gamble. So he, Steve, and I would sit at the end of the table, and after we got done talking computers and our experience in class that day, etc., um, you know, he'd, uh, he'd well, what do you do at Procter and Gamble about brands and yeah. this and that? So uh, I never got offered a job. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they were in a position to do that, but yeah. it was a, it was just really kind of an interesting circumstance very early on to uh, have had that uh, that interaction. That's an incredible story. And I love how Steve Jobs is the one asking you about brand marketing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He could have taught me a lot more later in life. But uh, at that point, Maybe he was, you taught him all he, he was, knows. <laughs> yeah. Do I get a royalty for that, do you think? Yeah, yeah. maybe. That's so funny. For those who aren't familiar, how would you explain marketing super simply? Uh, you want the academic version? Yes, I'll take the academic version. <laughs> or the professional uh, commercial version. Uh, m- marketing is identifying a, um, the, the wants, needs, and preferences of a target group of customers. And then, uh, you know, making a product or service that fits those needs and preferences uh, to the greatest degree that you can in exchange for, you know, they're paying you to have that, um, uh, have that uh, available to them. Yeah, I see it as driving value for people. Yeah, no, that's a, that's another good way to to put it. Yeah, how do you get the value? Is understanding what people want exactly. So, what did you do after Procter and Gamble? Yeah, I had been a, a brand manager at P and G for about a year and a half, and uh, I decided that I wanted to uh, get into a different culture. So, I went to work for Frito Lay. It was kind of an interesting time. They were still expanding distribution. Um, snack sales were growing across the country. Uh, I started by managing the pretzel brands and some of the variety pack, and then uh, got onto the core brands and managed uh, Fritos and uh, Lay's potato chips. Eventually um, made another move about three years later into uh, Nabisco and then worked for them for seven years. So between crackers, cookies, snacks, my wife tells me that I'm singularly responsible for the <laughs> obesity problem in this country. So. Well, they do say, uh, you know, when you join Frito-Lay, there's something called the Frito 15 mm. because oh, you're getting, <laughs> you, you gain like 15 pounds from sampling all the items that you're selling. So true. 
Yeah, so I, I managed that for a while. I became a strategic planning manager for the division and then got promoted to a director of marketing of, of a category of that business. I um, had an opportunity to join the international division and uh, I traveled the world for a number of wow. years managing their few billion dollar global snack business. And we basically bought companies up in countries that we were trying to expand distribution into. So uh, that got me to about 25, 30 different countries. Wow. Yeah. I had a, a passport with like three pullouts because there were so many stamps and then you can, when yeah. you fill it up, they just give you another pullout. So. Do you know any other languages or? Uh, well, I'll tell you how that, that one went. So I'm sitting on a Sunday in Bangkok and a phone call comes and it's the senior VP of finance and he goes, um, hey, listen, you've been traveling around and you know, I think we've got a lot of this under control now. And we bought three companies in Spain that we're trying to merge together. The general manager there has been with us a while. He wants to retire. How's your Spanish? And I said, I don't know any Spanish. <laughs> and he says, you'll learn. So um, a few weeks later, I uh, reported to Berlitz and spent many hours learning uh, Spanish very quickly. I started as commercial director for a while. And then after uh, sort of I got command of the language a bit, um, then I became general manager for a year and a half. Oh, wow. That's mm -hmm. incredible. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was the, um, kind of a really good time in Spain. It was uh, in the early 90s on the way to the 92 Olympics and World's Fair in Barcelona. Mm -hmm. And uh, the country was joining the EU. Mm -hmm. So it was a you know, very, very high um, level of uh, positive emotions going through uh, the country and the economy was really booming and also it was a pleasure uh, being there. What did you do after that? It's kind of hard to top traveling the world and jet setting. And yeah, some people think international travel is about jet setting um, until <laughs> you're sitting on a plane for 16 hours. We moved back to uh, the Boston area. Gillette had fended off a couple of LBO attempts to buy them out. Mm -hmm. It was the time when they decided to innovate, to survive. Mm -hmm. so they launched the first Gillette sensor razor. From the time I arrived to the time we were up and running with BBDNO, Porter Novelli, uh, and other uh, Marcom agencies, uh, we launched into 24 countries in 18 months. Oh, wow. So it was a very successful thing, very fast-paced, um, very smart, and uh, very detailed uh, marketers, craftsmen, mm -hmm. uh, in many ways of that, uh, of that product. So, you know, you learn a little bit of some different things at every company you're at. Yeah. Uh, I think Procter & Gamble is very much about strategy. I think Frito-Lay is uh, very much about getting things done and moving in the marketplace and being aggressive. I think the global thing was more about, uh, learning how to set goals for the company and make the right choices to, to meet those goals. You know, and then Gillette was uh, really about craftsmanship and product design and um, perfection, I would think, is probably a good word. Yeah. So that was your, I mean, you had an incredible marketing career and that was your first career. That was number one. Yeah. <laughs> that was number one. <laughs> yeah. We still have two to get through. So what did you do after marketing and why did you decide to make a pivot? Yeah. So, um, you know, it, sometimes it, people can either live and enjoy the corporate life and the process and, you know, kind of all that. As I say, I was sort of a breakthrough innovator. And so that got a little tedious for me. So I wanted, um, I wanted to be able to see more and do more in, in different environments. So I joined Computer Science Corporation as a consultant and uh, I was one of their front-end consultants. So I did things like, um, you know, how do you estimate demand and so forth. It was the uptick to the, uh, to the Internet. 
And so, um, you know, we were out um, helping clients figure out, well, what does this do for your supply chain and how do you integrate your IT and your, you know, SAPs and all that into planning systems with internet support. So I spent um, a few years there, became a partner, and then AT Kearney um, came out and hired me to join AT Kearney. So I was in the consumer retail practice. And this is consulting. This was, yeah, all all consulting as a partner. What was the difference between kind of being within the corporate space versus being a consultant? Yeah. So, you know, in the, in the corporate um, space, you tend to have maybe a long-term view and, you know, you're building towards some goal. Maybe you want to be the leader of the category, right? And so, you know, you continually push for that, uh, that goal and you, adjust and maybe minorly pivot depending on how you have to position, reposition, renew. As a consultant, you're there for short term. You know, you have a project. The advantage of being a consultant is, you know, you break a lot of, you know, the not invented here and the group think because, you know, you're being paid to bring that idea in. So how long did you spend in consulting? I've been in consulting uh, probably about 35 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, on and off, different kind of companies and different environments. Wow. After A.T. Kearney, I um, went through a life change. I got remarried, and my wife um, worked for Adobe out on in Silicon Valley. So we uh, we lived out, out there uh, in California, and uh, it's a very exciting place. And then one day we sat back, and we just decided that, um, you know, Silicon Valley was a lot of fun, but maybe something different, and we were working on a family, so... Uh, we did an interesting thing and uh, made a decision to move to Dallas. That was 17, 18 years ago. Mm-hmm. I went on my own and I've consulted with Mary Kay and Alcon and mm-hmm. a number of other large companies uh, in the area before starting my academic career. So this takes us to career number three, <laughs> academia. So started in corporate America, moved into consulting, and then it sounds like you did a stint at a startup. So tell us, why did you decide to go into higher education? Yeah, so um, it kind of it kind of grew. I live up outside of Denton, and I got to meet some of the um, folks at the University of North Texas uh, in the marketing department. And they said, "Hey, you know, if you got extra time, why don't you teach a course for us?" So mm-hmm. uh, I started with one, and then pretty soon I was up to three. And four and a half, five years later, um, you know, I was teaching I don't know twelve courses a year uh, in marketing and sales management and all that, and I enjoyed it. But then I thought, well, maybe there's you know other places I could uh, teach. So uh, back to uh, my business school colleague, uh, knew some of the people at SMU, mm-hmm. and he said, you know, why don't you get in touch with uh, the folks uh, there? So um, I sent my resume over, and I had an audition before the associate dean and the oh, really? department chairman. Yeah, think about that. You know, you're like, I'm going to audition. I haven't done this in ages. And now this is my seventh year uh, teaching. I teach uh, undergrads in um, all kinds of marketing classes, including fundamentals of marketing, which is a required course for business uh, majors. I teach a sales and channel management course, international marketing class. Um, I teach another course in um, pricing to MBAs and in global marketing, which is sort of the international marketing part for, uh, uh, for MBAs. Um, about three and a half years ago, I decided, you know, hey, I need another challenge. Um, I think I missed a couple of things along the way. So three and a half years ago, I uh, looked around at the DBA programs. PhD programs are really for uh, career academics, and you really do that in your 20s. Okay. And, you know, you go up to 
you know, hopefully get tenure and all that. Um, but, you know, for uh, folks that are um, commercially focused and then want to get into academia, Doctor of Business Administration degrees are really uh, the place. So I looked at the universities that offered them, and the University of Florida in Gainesville, the Gators, uh, was the highest-ranked school that offered a DBA program. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so I started there. We had a two-week boot camp, two years of instruction, going to Gainesville twice a term for these power weekends. And you were working during this time, too. Yeah, yeah right. I was teaching, teaching and consulting at the same time, yeah. yeah. So I finished that, and then I had a dissertation to write. They gave me a year to do it, and uh, my dissertation was, do you trust Alexa with your most personal and private questions? And the answer is? Well, it depends who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I ran a survey of my, uh, my, my target audience, were our millennials. Yeah. So I ran a survey with, with 100 students, and uh, they said, oh, no, no way. We don't at all. And then I did an experiment uh-huh. where you actually observe ask these questions yeah. uh, with 500 people, millennial age, in the general population. And they said, oh, yeah. We trust Alexa with <laughs> just about any question we want to ask. So, yeah. it, you know, it's all intent versus behavior. You yeah. learn in marketing, you can't, I intend not to do this, but, um, you know, but sometimes you do. So what drove you to keep finding new opportunities in your career? You know, once I mastered a particular role in the organization and kind of excelled and figured it all out, I was looking for the next, um, the next opportunity to challenge me. And uh, in the uh, corporate world, as a brand manager, um, you're going to spend a lot of time, you know, doing uh, strategic planning and business plans over and over. And to me, that just, you know, didn't seem to challenge me in the way that I wanted to. Consulting gave me the opportunity to work in a lot of different environments for a lot of different cultures with a lot of different people uh, on a lot of different um, on a lot of different projects, some of which I walked in needing to learn an awful lot about. And so that um, that part invigorated me, uh, you know, to dive in and learn and and uh, and find out how how to go about um, coming up with a, a successful um, solution. And in academia, um, in addition to this sort of doctoral degree as a way to improve myself, um, you know, I started off as an okay instructor. And, you know, I read my evaluations and got feedback from my students, and I just kept working to improve uh, my personal approach and the way I design my classes and the content that I teach. So, again, just looking for ways to continually be better at what I do. It's having that growth mindset. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say is the most rewarding part of your job today? You know, I think... That would have changed over those three three career stints, you know. Um, I think in the first part, I would have said um, the fact that I could drive businesses and grow those businesses, um, you know, I, that would be a, a sense of accomplishment, goal achievement, pride. In my consulting career, I would have said, you know, the most satisfying part would be to see that I enable the organizations that I'm consulting for to do better the people that I'm working with, the teams to grow and gain skills that I can help teach them or show them or help them learn. And now that I teach students um, is to see the gleam in the few of those students' eyes of just opening up a world for them that could be a career possibility, Um, you know, through an example or a case we've discussed or something that they go, it clicks all of a sudden. And, and sometimes I get emails from, from former students uh, 
who say, hey, you know that, that exercise we did? Um, I used it today. And boy, it really worked well. You know, so that's kind of where I, um, that's where I, I, I get my personal value now is in uh, giving back to, uh, to these students and, and watching them become the people they want to be. Yeah, I love that. And I um, remember speaking to your class the first time and after that experience, I walked out and just kind of came off of this high because it was, yeah. it's really invigorating to talk to young people who have just the world of possibility in front of them mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. just give them a little bit of advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Many enter the, you know, the business school um, without really an idea what major. I mean, some, some kids mm -hmm. wake up at three years old and say, this is what I want to do. Yeah. But a lot of students don't. And they get to school and they go, I think I have a inclination toward, you know, a particular major. And then they take these courses and they go, you know, maybe, maybe there's something else I want to do. And if you can help them get that initial decision, you know, careers, um, you know, are adaptable. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, you just kind of start in one place, but, you know, you got to do what you really like. So looking back, what advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Yeah, I was thinking about that because I knew, I knew that kind of question would be. Yeah. Um, I, I, think, I think as I, as I look back at my career, you know, I, I probably would have stayed longer in a couple of the uh, organizations that, um, that I was in and learning more before I moved on. Uh, it was a period of time when uh, marketers, um, you know, were highly sought after and recruiting was fast and furious. And, um, you know, I, I don't think I lost much, but I think I could have gained more if I did that. And I think that's important now because when you look at the data, um, you know, the millennials and the Zs expect 10 to 12 job positions in their career. And, uh, you know, maybe you think, you know, that's okay for some people. Uh, but maybe, you know, if you're making friendships and, you know, you're building a career, you'll learn from mistakes and, you know, you kind of grow through them and that takes time. Yeah. So how do you know when is the right time to pivot? Yeah. I think it's up to the person. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you've got to, you've got to, um, be choiceful and consider why you're pivoting and not be reactionary. Maybe you're just really annoyed at the situation in your company right now. Organizational changes occurred. You got new leadership, a new boss. You know, the chemistry is not wonderful. Um, you know, do you say, well, that's it. I'm out of here. Or do you say, you know, I can learn in the, in the tough and uncomfortable times as much as I can learn in the good times. And so if I hang in there, as long as it's not uh, malicious or anything, right, that um, you know, maybe there's something to, to that, um, experience that'll grow you. Wow. That's great advice. So why is it important to find meaningful work or purpose in your career? Uh, you got to wake up every day <laughs> and my day usually starts between four thirty and five and usually ends uh, fairly late, but uh, you've got to do what you want. And, um, one of the things I liked about marketing so much, um, is if I created something like a product you know, I'd see it on the shelf. If I uh, help with the agency's assistance and all that, put a new commercial out there, I saw it on TV. Um, and, you know, you get joy out of that. Other people get joy, um, you know, from being a doctor or from, um, you know, being a psychologist and giving advice and helping people through things. But, you know, my, my um, 
my joy is, you know, at least had been uh, in creating and inventing and developing. And, uh, you know, I woke up energized every, uh, every day to go uh, do that. Um, when I found myself in unenergized environments, you know, I felt repressed and not real happy. But again, you make a choice. Do I grow through this and see what happens on the other side? Or, you know, do I seek greener grass? And it's not always greener yeah. when you get there. Yeah, no, I, I mean, we're both in marketing and being able to create something and then see it out in the world. Yeah. It's it's really energizing. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I always find that like when you find what it is that you're meant to do, it gives you a lot of energy. Certainly there's ups and downs and highs and lows, but <laughs> for the most part, you know, you're doing work that's meaningful in whatever way that's meaningful to you, right? I agree, yeah. And if in the end it, you know, it serves people. Yeah. You know, then it's that's what you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. So if you had to sum up your career in three words, yeah. what would that be? Maybe something like um continually setting um a higher standard. Mm-hmm. And then pushing myself to get there. Wow, love that. Well, Gary, this has been such a lovely conversation. Thank you so much for joining us on Career Slay. And I'm super excited for your students to hear this episode as well. <laughs> yeah, good. I'll, re- I'll refer it all to them. <laughs> Maybe I'll put a quiz on it to make sure. Yeah, that that, be- <laughs> oh, yeah, Professor, we, we listened to it. Uh, <laughs> well, thanks, Gary. You bet. Thank you. The Career Slay podcast is a co-production of Career Slay and Wild Reply, produced by Michael Burke. If you like the show, subscribe and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. New episodes drop every other Tuesday, so stay tuned for some great conversations on slaying the fear in career. Mm-hmm.